Well, we're continuing our series in the book of Ruth. We're partway into chapter two. And today under the heading or the title that I've called Grace Unmeasured, we've three themes. Number one, protection. Number two, provision. And number three, kindness and blessing and hope. Well, this week, a lot of people got very excited about the political election. Politics doesn't really fire me up. Maybe it should, but it does fire a lot of people up. Which party will do best for business, people have been asking. Who will invest in the NHS? Who will put more police on the streets? Under whom will we feel safer? What about Brexit? What about our schools? What about freedom of religion? And all and more questions have been asked and thrown about this week. Well, provision and protection in different ways were certainly themes that came up as election themes. I'm not so sure I heard too much talk about kindness and blessing and hope. But where have we left the story of Ruth? Well, last week we saw how Ruth and Naomi had arrived back in Bethlehem. It was home for Naomi, where she and her husband Elimelech had lived with their two sons. There had been a famine in the land and in search of food, Elimelech had taken his family, hadn't he, to Moab, around the other side of the Dead Sea, a journey, they say, of 50 or so miles. So not far in uh, distance terms, but a very great distance in spiritual terms. And he died in Moab, hadn't he? And his two sons had married local girls, Moab girls, Ruth and Orpah. And within 10 years of Elimelech dying, both of the lads have died too. And so we have Naomi left with just her two daughters-in-law and the men dead. And we thought a couple of weeks ago about Elimelech's choice that in seeking food for the body, he sacrifices food for the soul. And now the famine is over and they set out back for Judah. And we saw how Naomi said to Ruth and to Orpah, you go back. You stay in Moab because there is your home. That is the place that you know. Those are the people that you know. Leave me. Forget about me. My days are gone. You have your lives ahead of you. You can find another husband maybe to give you more children. And after that scene, Orpah turns back. She goes back to her homeland, to Moab. But Ruth committed, didn't she, to Naomi? And you remember that great vow that Ruth gave. Where you go, Naomi, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and I will be buried there. We saw that at the end of chapter one. And so they come back, they journey back and they arrive back in Bethlehem. It wasn't too long ago, was it, earlier this year that Donald Trump tried to sign an order banning people from certain countries for coming into the USA. They, he said, are a danger to our country. I don't want our people to mix with their people. His very clear message was that you are not welcome here. Well, Ruth is now a foreigner in this land and folks have recognised Naomi as they come back at the end of chapter one and those behind the hand comments, is that Naomi? What's happened to her? Have you heard what's happened to her? She went away for the good life. She didn't find the good life, did she? Look what happened. 
And Naomi acknowledges at the end of chapter one that the people are right. Yes, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, a name that means pleasant, but call me Mara, bitter, because I went away full and I've come home empty. I wonder if you thought about the prodigal son. He pretty much did the same thing, didn't he? He went off chasing the dream of a better life somewhere else, but the dream was just that. It was just a dream. It was never better. And chapter one ended with those words as they came back to Bethlehem and the barley harvest was beginning because now we see the providence of God at work. And today in the fields of Boaz, we see protection. And today in the fields of Boaz, we see provision and we see kindness and blessing and hope. So number one, protection. It's not easy, is it, to be a vulnerable foreigner in the land? But today things are going to look up for Ruth. How are Ruth and Naomi going to survive? Well, Ruth has gone out looking for work. She's gone to the field. She's gone to what they call glean, which basically means to try and forage for leftovers, for grain or for scraps that the train pickers might have missed. And we also heard that how laws of the day set out that some crop at the edges of the field should be left deliberately for those in need to take if they could find it. I couldn't really think of a modern day illustration. Perhaps it's like Tesco's and all the supermarkets putting out all of the food that is, out of, is coming to the end of its life and saying, come and take it. But that's easier really, isn't it? This was work. This was something that you had to do that was hard. And where had Ruth found this work? Well, we heard at the start of chapter two that Ruth just happened to be in the fields of Boaz, who just happened in verse four to turn up there and greet his workers. I think the writer is a bit tongue in cheek here, don't you? We sing in the hymn, I do not know what lies ahead, the way I cannot see. And the line says, with God, things don't just happen. Everything by him is planned because this is the God that Ruth has now trusted herself to. She's left the life of familiarity in Moab and she's thrown herself upon the trust of the God of Naomi, her mother-in-law, and now the God she calls her God. But she doesn't sit and wait for charity, does she? Ruth has been in the fields of Boaz working all day and now Boaz has arrived and he's noticed her. Why does he notice her? Because she was new? because she was working so hard, because she looked different, because he was attracted to her. Maybe all of those things, or maybe because this is how the hand of God is at work. And Boaz had asked his foreman, whose young woman is that? Now that's a question, isn't it? That could be asked in all sorts of the wrong ways today. It could be asked in a possessive way. Whose is that? Because I want her, I want him. The motive behind the question might be greed. It might be lust. It might be money. It could be a question that could spell misery for a woman, or for any person for that matter. It could be a question that could strip you of the protection that you need. Imagine if somebody in Ruth's situation arrived in Liverpool today. What options would she have? A young woman, no husband, 
No father, no job, no money, no food, probably just the clothes on her back. How do you survive? And as she says in verse 10, she knows why have you taken notice of me since I am a foreigner? Who would help her if something happened to her? So when your position is weak and when your position is helpless, then we need protection, don't we? And Ruth has trusted herself already to the God of Naomi. Your God will be my God, she says. And now God is about to do exceedingly more than she could possibly expect or imagine. She probably initially was just happy to be in that field unharmed and left to just try and scavenge and grab what she could of the grain. But now along comes the boss. Here comes the boss and he's noticed her and he calls her over and he points her out. Now, where I work, it's not always good news to be called into your boss's office. I don't know about you. Probably more than half the time, it's not good news. But the boss is calling her over and Ruth might be thinking, is he going to tell me to get out? Is he going to tell me to leave? But Boaz does the opposite. He welcomes her to his fields. He says to her, you don't need to go anywhere else. You can find protection right here under my shelter. Verse eight, you don't need to go somewhere else because I've told the men not to touch you. I've told them you're to be looked after. And if you're thirsty because it's hot, then you can go and get water from the water jars that the men have filled. Well, I'm sure that was better than she imagined the conversation going when Boaz called her over. You can work here, Ruth. You're safe under my watch. You're safe with my people. How that must have gladdened her heart. And as you think forward, and as you think about the work of God in provision for his people, perhaps your mind at the scene of a, a drink of water goes forward to John chapter four, where Jesus is faced with the woman of Samaria at the well. And he asks her for a drink of water and she balks at it. And Jesus says to her, well, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me and I would have given you the living water. But this is what Boaz does for Ruth. He gives her this protection. He gives her this provision. And when we're faced with this kindness, this undeserved kindness, then Ruth's response here in verse 10 seems to be the right one, doesn't it? What does she do? She falls on her face. She bows to the ground and she says, why are you doing this for me? What are you doing this for me for? It's as if to say, I was prepared to just forage at the corners of the fields with my bare hands. I was prepared to take the chance for my safety because I know where I am on the ladder. I know I'm at the bottom of the ladder here. Yet you have done this for me, a foreigner. She understands where she is in the land. She knows that they call her the foot. Look what the foreman calls her in uh, verses five and six the young Moabite woman. God's law put Moab over there somewhere. But do you and do I see our standing before God? Have you thought about where you stand before God in relation to him? Have you known and realized that you need his protection, that you need his provision, that you need his grace and his kindness and his blessing? 
even though you and I don't deserve it. You see, the God that Ruth had made this pledge to is now using this man Boaz to offer and to show Ruth grace and to bring her protection. And this is God at work. This is God using his people to speak of him and to show himself to the world and in the world. God uses his people. Friend, God uses you and God uses me. Because if you name his name, if you profess his name, then you speak of him. You do. The question is just, what do you say? And how do you say it? And what do others hear? And what do others see? What have they heard this week? Seats in Parliament? Or seats on the throne? And in verse 11, Boaz replies to Ruth, you're asking me why I've done this. You're asking me why I've done this? I'll tell you. You're not just some random foreigner. He says, I've been told all about you. I know what you've been doing for your mother-in-law. I know that you stuck by her when you could have left her. I know that you came to a strange country for her. And may God bless you for what you have done. And may God protect you under his wings. Here is acceptance. Here is shelter. Here is recognition from Boaz of the character of Ruth. Don't you think? He knows what sort of woman she is. Her testimony has already spoken. Her reputation, if you like, is already out there. People know what she is like. The consistency of her life is known and seen. What a challenge that is for me. And what a challenge for you. What does your character speak of? Is your life consistent in its nature? And so Boaz prays for, his, for her protection. And what safer place is there to be for the Christian believer than to be under the refuge of God's wings? Don't go to other fields, he says, because right here is the safest place for you to be. I wonder if you've been going to other fields. I wonder if you've been looking to the world for something in your life. And do you... And I need to come back under the refuge of God's wings. And in verse 13, Ruth replies to this offer with heartfelt thanks and gratitude. You have done this for me, she says, even though I am no one. I don't even have, she says, the standing of one of your servants. But you've done this for me. Here is the grace of protection that God is bringing to Ruth. And then secondly, we see provision in verses 14 to 19, we see provision. It's wonderful, isn't it, to see God's provision and God's providence in action sometimes. Ruth could have gone to a lot of fields, but she goes to Boaz's field. Boaz was a, a wealthy man. He had a lot going on. And he could have been in many different places, but he comes to this particular field at this particular time when Ruth is there. And Ruth could have been resting Ruth could have been ill. She could have been too hot. She could have got tired. She could have collected what she had and gone back to Naomi earlier in the day. But God's hand is at work. I wonder, Christian, if you've seen that in your own life, in the life of others, as you look back over things that just seemed at the time to be circumstances, but the hand of God has been at work. And so we come to verse 14, and it looks like a meal break. 
Now, sometimes in work, you can get this sort of hierarchy where the big bosses sit over here and then the middle managers sit over here and then everybody else sits over there somewhere. And if you knew, well, maybe nobody speaks to you at all and you have to sit on your own. Now, what are we like in that sort of situation? Do you welcome the stranger? Do you do it here? And Ruth, I would imagine, is probably hovering at the edge of the field as, the, as Boaz and the main workers sit down to this uh, meal break. I don't think she would have dared to go and sit with Boaz and the guys that are in charge. She would never have expected that. But Boaz calls her over in verse 14 and he says, come here, come over here, have some bread, dip it with us, eat with us. And why don't you try that roasted grain that we're having? It's, it's all a rage. And the day is getting better and better, isn't it? And Ruth sits. Ruth feels welcomed. And she eats all she wanted. She'd probably have been happy with scraps. But she eats till she was full. And she eats and there's leftovers. And as one of the commentators has said, here's probably the first doggy bag for taking out in the Bible. Because would you like to take that home? Yes, please, says Ruth. And she's going to take some home for Naomi too. Provision. And then the meal finishes and it's time to go back to work. And Ruth could have thought, well, I think I'll quit while I'm ahead. I've had a great morning. I've had a free lunch that I didn't expect. I think I'll go back to Naomi. But she doesn't do that. She's straight back to work. She wants to work for this provision. She wants to repay this kindness that she's been shown. And so in verse 15 and 16, we see how Boaz speaks to them to the men, to the workers, and he says, lads, help her out. Pull out some stalks and make it easy for her to collect bigger and better and more stuff. Help her out. Make it easy. I wonder what they thought. I wonder if they thought, he doesn't normally do that for all the new workers here. What is it about this one that's so special? But he's the boss. It's his field and they do what they're told and that's what happens. And Ruth, it says, works all day. Verse 17, until the evening. And then she's not done because then when she's gathered everything she's got, she has to go and thresh and beat out the barley and she ends up with a big amount. The, uh, the verse 17 says it was about an ephah of barley. Well, how much was that? People reckon a big sack full, about as much as one person could possibly expect to carry. She would never have expected to get that much from that day's work. More than she could imagine. And so she carries this and takes it back through the town. And she's going to take it back for Naomi. And I wonder what Naomi's face was like as Ruth walked up to wherever it was that they were staying. Probably staggering under the weight of this bag, this sack of food. Naomi's face must have been a picture. She probably expected something like this. And they have this. Amount. Isn't the provision of God good? Now we can bake bread. Naomi would have thought, well, Ruth says, it's get better than that. It gets better than that because I've brought takeaway for us this evening. We've brought the leftovers from the lunch so you don't have to cook. This is our God who does and is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could even ask or think. And Naomi, it says in verse 19, is simply amazed at the result of the day. 
Where did you get this? One day's work? Where did you work? Tell me, who was the man who let you do this? Bless him. And Ruth says, his name is Boaz. You see, the provision that Ruth had received is far more than she could have expected. It's more than Naomi could have expected. And this is the God that Ruth has trusted herself to. Writing to the Philippians, the apostle Paul wrote in verse 19 of chapter four, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. As we look at Boaz, we see, don't we, how he takes the initiative. I wonder if you've ever been queuing up for, to get into somewhere. You've ever been to Buckingham Palace maybe and imagine being a tourist in the line waiting to go in and suddenly in the side a door opens and the Queen sticks her head out and I won't do her voice but she says, Graham, Ruth, Thomas, come over here. I've told the guards to let you in. You can go wherever you like in the house. You can eat or drink whatever you want and no one will touch you and stop you. It's not going to happen but if it did, I think I'd say, what did I do to deserve that? The queen has never spoken to me before. But Hebrews chapter one says that God has spoken to us, that God has in these last days spoken to us by his son, because God is at work in the world and God is working his purposes out as year succeeds to year. Ruth has trusted God, trusted him enough to leave her home and to move country, move to a strange land with nothing in her hands to bring, except simply to Naomi's faith, as it were, to cling. And so this God that she has trusted herself to, he does not leave her empty. He does not leave her empty handed. And God uses this man, Boaz, to speak to Ruth and this lovely story is unfolding. And we'll see more of it next week. Abundant provision is hers in a land where she is a stranger, where she is a widow, where she is fatherless. And then finally, we see in verses 20 to 23, kindness and blessing and hope. Kindness and blessing and hope. Because after this scene has played out and Ruth has brought this food home, Naomi is overcome with the provision and when Ruth tells her that this man who's provided for her is Boaz, Naomi says in verse 20, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. Now that word kindness that's used here, chesed, has a deep meaning. It means like a covenant love, a strong and deep love, an absolute loyalty, much stronger than it would appear in English and it's a theme that would run throughout this book and it's a theme that runs throughout elsewhere in the Old Testament because this is the love that God has to and for his people the Lord has covenanted hasn't he to his people that he will be their God and so therefore this is the love that God's people should show to each other this is a love that you should show to each other here this is a love that you should show a love which puts others first, a love which is sacrificial, a love which is total, a love which showers kindness and blessings on each other. And Naomi sees that this love and this kindness 
that Boaz is showing to Ruth is far more than he was obliged to do, isn't it? He didn't have to do what he did. And then it says, or then Naomi says at the end of verse 20, the man is a relative of ours. He's one of our near kinsmen or kinsman redeemer, you might see. And then Ruth says, he even said, stay with our workers until we finished harvesting the grain. So now, not only has she had provision for today, but Ruth's got a job. She's there till the harvest is finished. The provision is not just for today because the kindness of today is bringing hope for tomorrow and for the next day. And look at that maternal instinct in Naomi in verse 22. She says, Ruth, that's great. Stay with his girls. It's a great idea. Stay with his girls. Keep away from the lads, maybe is the undertone, but stay with his girls because maybe the seeds of a plan, of a relationship plan are forming in Naomi's mind. Maybe the mothering instinct is at work. Maybe she can hear and foresee those wedding bells. You'll have to come back for the next few weeks to see what happens. But perhaps in Boaz, she has seen the characteristics of a true and godly man, of a real and proper man putting the needs of others before his own, his motives good and pure. And what a contrast this is for Naomi and Ruth. Isn't long, is it, since the emptiness they felt of being bereaved, of moving home, of moving land, is now being replaced by kindness by blessing, by protection and provision, and by a hope that perhaps is germinating within. Naomi says to Ruth that Boaz is one of our kinsmen. Well, what did they do? We'll probably hear a bit more about that, but briefly, one of the things that they could do, Leviticus chapter 25 tells us, is if you fell into debt, and if you had to sell land, then they could buy it back for you. They were like a prominent member in your extended family clan, they could do that. So they could buy back something you'd had to sell or give away. But they also had another role because if a woman's husband died, the law in Deuteronomy 25 provided that she could marry a brother of her dead husband to help continue the family line. So they could step in and they could fulfill that role. But you see, Naomi had no more sons. Marlon and Chilean had both died, hadn't they? So was there a kinsman redeemer who could step in and fulfill this role and have the family line continue? Well, we'll see what happens there in chapter three. But God, through his servant Boaz, brings this kindness, shows this blessing and brings forth hope. Because we see, don't we, the inner in the situation at the start of the book that many would have seen as desperate, Ruth is the recipient of this undeserved protection, of this bountiful provision. And Boaz had said to Ruth in verse 12, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I wonder, is that the place you are today? Have you come to take refuge under the wings of the Lord God of Israel? Or are you relying on your own strength? We know, don't we, that the Bible speaks, of course, of another redeemer, another who has come to provide for us, another who has come to buy us back. Why do you, 
need to be brought back? Why do I need to be brought back? It's because of our sin, which has separated us from God. It's because of our sin, which means we have broken his law day after day and hour after hour. It's because, if you like, that Moab is in us. The psalmist got it right when he said, who may stand in his holy place? We've broken God's law and so we deserve God's judgment. And, and yet we reminded ourselves from the book of Hebrews that God has in these days spoken to us by his son. The redeemer is Jesus Christ. He is the one who has come to save us. He is the one who came and by what he did on the cross, by taking our sin, by dying in our place, he redeems. And what is the result of his work? Does that leave us still outside the camp, as it were? Well, in Romans chapter 8, we read that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free, set you free from the law of sin and death. Through Christ, free and redeemed and brought back. Is that your testimony tonight? Is it? Is that your thankful heart speaking for what God has done for you through Jesus? The apostle Paul could also say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ruth's reaction to the blessing and to the provision of God is gratitude, isn't it? In the face of this kindness and blessing that she experiences, because when this comes, she falls on her face and she says, what have I done to deserve this? Well, as this plan, as this great story unfolds a little more, we'll see where it goes. But have you asked that question today or in your life to now? Have you said, what have I done to deserve this? What have I done to deserve what Jesus did? Could you sing, as we will in a moment, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me has been made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. The Christian whose hope is in this same God, this covenant God, will be able to sing with us, I know, do you? I know whom I've believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day.